Hello, ladies. Okay, sorry. That was like, ah, run up to the front. <laughs> Actually, half of my teen was still out. <laughs> I was like, ladies, we're starting. <laughs> um, if I haven't ever met you before, my name is Candice Lostro, and I am kind of the leader of the lady leaders. So I'm like, I have a whole group of leadership. So I always hate to say that I'm the leader, but I have amazing an amazing team that knows how to do skills that I don't know how to do, and I'm so thankful for them. <laughs> and if you have never met Haley Eichmann, this is Haley. And um, just, I've known Haley for probably six years, five, six, five, years, five yeah. years now. And what I've always so much admired about Haley is that she is just like, I don't know, the example of strong to me. Like, she is. Like, she's, she'll tell you if, you if you don't know what RBF is, she's also the queen of RBF. Yes, I'm not going to say that in church, like, what it actually means, but <laughs> she's really good at that. But she's actually, like, the nicest person ever. And once you start talking to her, like, that's so not, like, that face is not matching your personality. <laughs> yes. So if you've ever seen me at church and you're like, eh, I don't want to talk to her. She looks mean. I'm not that mean. I look it, but I'm really not that mean. You can ask my husband. He might fight it a little uh, bit, but I yeah. promise it's just the face. <laughs> but it's, it's so true. You get to talk to her and you're just like, I love this girl. She is so fun. And um, I... I didn't tell Haley this, oh, but no. I have something that I want to read because I really think that it describes Haley and it describes where she's, where her calling is. And just, I don't know. It's something that's been on my heart to share with her. And I read this the other day and I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to read in front of everybody <laughs> because it's so good. But I've been, I just started this book and it's called seven women and is by eric metaxas and he's kind of a biography author and he wrote a book called seven men and it's like you know like the greatest men of like world history and he wrote the biographies on them and most of them are like christian men or men that went and did like great things for humanity hey bailey way to sit outside of the whole group i'm just joking i'm just joking i had to call it out <laughs> If you show up late, you get singled out. I know. Out. If you show up late, you get <laughs> I love you. <laughs> um, but anyways, so it's a it's a seven different biographies of women. And when he was getting ready to write this book, he was asking his family and his friends, like, who do you think should be in this book? Who do you think are some of the seven greatest women of, you know, in all of history? And a lot of times his family and friends were um, naming off women who were the greatest at something that a man had already accomplished before. So like Amelia Earhart, like she was, you know, sailed across, sailed, she flew, flew a plane <laughs> across something. And um, there was just some other ones. <laughs> Can you tell that I don't know what she did? <laughs> um, so, but they spouted off all of these names of women who did great, amazing, cool things, but it was after a man had already done it or, and he, he was almost like, well, you know, you're almost trying to put everybody on a, pl a level playing field when women can do really amazing things that there's, that men cannot do. 
And he wrote this, and I was like, wow, this is so good. And I really, I don't know, like when I think of Haley, I think of this. So, um, when I consider the seven women I chose, I see that most often, most of them were great for reasons that derive precisely from their being women, not in spite of it. And what made them great was nothing to do with their being measured against or competing with men. In other words, their accomplishments are not gender neutral, but are rooted in their singularity as women. All of them existed and thrived as women and stand quite apart from anything touching the kind of thinking I encountered. The first woman I chose, Joan of Arc, is a good example. She is sometimes thought of as great because she she did what men do. She donned armor and became a warrior, but that is far off the mark. Joan of Arc was no fierce Amazon, far from it. There was nothing even slightly manly about her. On the contrary, it was her youth, innocence, purity, and holiness that made it possible for her to do what she did. Only just past girlhood, she was deeply affected by the suffering she saw in the battles around her, never becoming injured to the carnage and agonies of war as a male soldier typically will do. It was precisely her vulnerability and womanly virtue that stunned and inspired the rough soldiers in a way that no man could ever do. It was because of these qualities that they were in awe of her and respected her. Through her spirit was as large as anyone's who has ever led. She herself was neither big nor strong. In other words, there could never be a male Joan of Arc. The very idea is a laughable oxymoron. Um, I say that because I know Haley. (laughs) I know her, and I know her heart for being a warrior and what you are. But it's not because you're a good soldier in, like, manly terms. You're a good soldier because you are completely walking in the full calling of being a woman and a woman of God, that you can do things that a man couldn't have done because he is a man. You're a woman, and you're fully walking in that power, and I just want you to know how amazing and how powerful that is, and not in a sense of feminism where you need to push down any men to, to do what you do. You partner with men all the time with your job and what you do, but there's certain things that you do as a woman that they can't do based off of how God created them. So I want... Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, I just really wanted to bring that up because this is the person that we get to talk to tonight. This is a person that we get to hear from. And so I set that all up because I think that um, that's something that we need to seriously remember as women, that we are created to be women, not to be a woman that acts like a man to be powerful or to do great things or to fight for innocent or to fight for um, God. So that is my introduction of kind of who I think Kaylee is. (laughs) That is something steep to live up to tonight. So we'll see if I can do it. Um, But no, thank you. I mean, this is nerve wracking for me. I was telling Candace weeks ago and today even Stand me in front of a crowd to talk about a PowerPoint for the army or teach a class on firearms, anything. I'm fine with it. Make me talk about myself and I'm going to get shaky. I'm going to get nervous. My face is going to get really red and I'm going to sound like a little kid. Like I'm not going to sound like, oh, Candace just said this girl's tough. She looks like a child up there. She's like shaking and freaking out. So let's hope I can get past that tonight. But I am really honored. This is super cool. It's something that has been on my heart for a while. And kind of, if anyone was at church on Sunday, Lynette talked a lot about testimony and the power of testimony. And it seemed 
fitting that this hit right after that because the reason why we are talking about this is because of my testimony and why I wanted to get involved in this. So I had to write my testimony down because I knew I was going to be so nervous that I might actually forget my own story. So if I glance over at it, I'm just trying to get my thoughts in order a little bit. So please just be bear with me, be a little forgiving and patient because it might get a little out of the word works and I might go back and forth between times. So, but I just want to get started with that. If you guys are okay with that. All right. So, um, Basically, ever since I was a little girl, itty bitty, you know, ankle biter kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I'm like, I'm going to be a veterinarian. I'm going to work on horses and I'm going to work on cows. And that's all I'm going to do with my life. All I ever want to do, my life revolved around it. I grew up doing 4-H and shadowing a veterinarian when I was eight years old. Like I, anything I could do to be in that, I wouldn't be in it. And then I get to college and I go to the University of Finley in Ohio. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be pre-vet. I'm going to do this for four years and then I'm going to go to vet school. I got a semester in. I was like, I do not want to be a veterinarian. Oh my gosh. Like, no, this is not for me. I'm like, oh no, chemistry. Are you kidding me? No. So I was like, all right, I got to figure something else out. But I'm like, I still love animals. Like that's still my passion. And while in that first semester in, um, just kind of going to my classes, I'm like, I really like the cattle industry. Maybe, you know, I'll bring my focus onto that a little bit. And so that's what I did. I switched from a prevent major to an animal science major, added in some other stuff, showed on our cattle team in college. I showed on our ranch horse team in college and just tried to get involved in more of the production ranch side of things. And I wanted to do that. And so then when it was time for me to graduate college, started applying to a few different places. I played to hog farms. Why? I don't know. Um, that didn't pan out. And then I applied to a couple feedlots, a couple ranches and some dairies in a feedlot east of Kersey on Highway 34 called me back and they're like, hey, we'd love to have you out. When can you start and stuff? I'm like, Colorado seems good. A lot better than the other offer I got in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. You know, this seems a little more viable for a young woman. So I was like, sure, I'll do it. So picked up my life and moved out to Colorado. And like I said, I'm going to forget something. 17 years old, I joined the army because not only would I want to be a veterinarian, I wanted to serve my country too, somehow. But I was like, I need to go to college. So how do I make this work? So National Guard was what I chose. So at 17, I joined the army. All through college, I served as a mechanic for a military police company in Ohio. When I moved to Colorado, I transferred and I ended up being a wrecker operator for a infantry company in Colorado. Well, I got here, worked for the feedlot. I was like, this is fun, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel fulfilling. And every time the army's like, Hey, we need you to do this. The agriculture side of my career is like, uh, no, you can't leave for two weeks tomorrow. Like we need you here. And that balance started getting really hard. And so I switched jobs and I got another job and I'm like, okay, I love this. This is great. But that balance was still hard. I'm like, I can't get this to work because whether I say no to the army or no to my civilian career, someone's going to get upset. Someone's going to be like, well, we need you here. Well, we need you here. And I felt like I was getting pulled back and forth. I'm like, there's got to be something else to do. Not only that, but in the army, I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my goals. I had hit my seven year, eight year mark in the army. And I'm like, I don't feel like I've done anything. And as I look down the line, I'm like, what am I going to do as a wrecker operator in the army? Like, it just didn't seem like, I'm like, I feel like I've got to have something more here to do. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do about this. And then 
I sat probably three, four years ago. I might get that little off in a message here. I was sitting over there on security team for the church, and Darren had a message about a woman's work. But in that woman's work, he talked about motherhood and how every woman is God-ordained to be a mother in some way, whether that be biological, foster mom, you know, spiritual mother, whatever it is, there's a mother in you. And I'm sitting here like, (laughs) okay, I'm like, okay, like I trust Darren. I trust that what comes from him comes from God. But I'm like, anyone who knows me knows I have been very adamant. I'm not going to be a mom. Like, that's not for me. I like kids. They're fun, but that's not for me. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, Darren, I've heard enough. Me and God need to talk now. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, okay, I don't want to be a biological mother, but I hear this and I feel this. And I'm like, could it be a spiritual mother? Am I, am I spiritual enough to be a spiritual mother? Do I know enough? I can't quote the Bible. Like God's like, shut up, just stop, stop for two seconds, take a breath and listen to me. So I stopped and breathed and God talks to me in pictures because I think he knows that I'm a visual learner and I forget things. So if he just talks, I'm gonna be like, what'd you say again? Can you remind me of that? I don't remember. Show me this picture. And I'm going to try to get through this without crying. So if I cry, just cry with me. (laughs) But he showed me this picture of me overseas in uniform, kneeling down with all these kids. Not my kids. I don't know who these kids were. I don't know if these kids had parents or what their life was like. But at that moment that God showed me these kids, they had me. And they had me to look up to. Even with me kneeling, they were looking up into my eyes. And he said, This is where your motherhood is. It doesn't have to be a child that came from you. It doesn't have to be a child that you're going to speak to spiritually or adopt or anything like that. But a child out there needs you. So get to it. And I'm like, okay, I got this. Like, I understand what you're talking about. So I'm like, all right, how do I do this? Like, what do I need to do? So next few days, next few weeks, months, I started doing research. And I'm like, you know... I don't think working in the cattle industry is going to get me there. And I don't think being a record operator in the army is going to get there. So what can I do? And I started researching and somehow down the God rabbit hole, I found a cryptologic linguist with special forces. And I'm like, okay, language. Uh, These kids aren't going to know English. Probably they, I mean, they didn't look like they knew English, but they knew me. So I'm like, all right, where's this going to go? So I started that process, and I don't want to bore you with the details of that because it was long and drawn out, but I fought, and a lot of things fell into place. A lot of things were really hard to get there. A lot of things fell perfectly into place at the right timing, but I got there. I got to where a SF unit in Colorado, of all places, is like, yeah, we'll take a chance on you. We don't take women in this position because it hasn't worked out in the past. We're going to let you try. I'm like, okay, cool. And that's been a process that's been going on for over two years now. But the big step in it happened last year. Um, If any of you recognize my face, you may have noticed for a year it was gone. I was living in California for the last year learning Russian. Um, I spent a year in California at the DLI, the Defense Language Institute, learning Russian, graduated in June and came back. And what is amazing about that, not California, But (laughs) this experience is that God showed me so many things. He's like, yeah, you're here to learn a language, but you are going to learn a lot more. You are going to learn patience. You are going to learn communication with your husband because my husband stayed here. I'm like, it's a year. We have a house. We have a dog. 
the first this, year of your marriage. We got married in January. I left in May. Yeah. So it was, we learned how to make it work. And I think everyone should try it. You should try a year apart. You'll know like, yeah, this is my human because you're all you can do is FaceTime through Snapchat on a bad Wi-Fi signal. That's all you got. And it's going to work. Um, so it was tough, but he, God taught me so much stuff about myself that I never realized. And I'm like, okay, like this isn't a, maybe this is going to happen. This is like, you're training me spiritually to be in this position, whatever it may be. But in that year, little things, um, speakers from the FBI who came to talk to DLI students about after it, um, former CIA agents, secret agents for the, um, president came they all talked to us like oh these are some careers you could do after you leave the military and a couple times human trafficking got mentioned and i just focused on it and i'm like what more about that can you guys speak on they're like uh no like i don't really know anything except for it's there and i'm like okay well i need more than that um so i just kept digging into it and I reached out then towards the end of my year in California and started asking guys that I serve with back here, I'm like, you guys contract, you work for the three letter agencies that no one talks about. Like, what do you know about it? And a lot of them are like, uh, I don't know. Let me get back to you. So I get back to Calif- or Colorado, I'm sitting down and my old supervisor texts me and he's like, Hey, do you still want to get into counter human trafficking? And I'm like, yeah, what do you got for me? He's like, well, one of my old teammates wanted me to let you know there's a one of the best organizations to work with is OUR Operation Underground Railroad when Tim Ballard was at um, Homeland Security my old teammate worked with him he said he's a great guy if you want to do it with anyone do it with him I'm like oh I've never heard of these guys researched everything I was on my computer I watched the documentary I watched movies I watched videos I did their training OUR has um, online training that you can do to learn signs of human trafficking and to become certified in it and then to become a certified volunteer through them. So I did it all. And I was like, all right, now what? Like I just did all this, but what do I do with it? And so I was like, I need to do something. Like I got more army training, but I need to do something now. And so I was like, well, what can I do here with where I'm sitting? And I was like, maybe I could collect clothes. I went up to a girl's friend's house and she had some new baby clothes that were still in boxes and bags, like from gifts. And I'm like, what is that? And she's like, I got so many clothes that I couldn't change my kid enough to put him in all of them. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're not the first person. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not the first person I've heard say this. And I'm like, I know so many people at our church, especially who have kids that have grown out of clothes and I'm not a goodwill person. You know, I don't like that. They're making a profit off of a donation. So I'm like, this could be an idea. So I went through the process to try to do it and it didn't work out yet. I'm still working on that. I'm still trying to find a way that I could collect some clothes to get to these kids that are rescued out of human trafficking. And so I was like, well, what else can I do? And I was like a t-shirt. How many times when you're at the grocery store or you're at the airport or at a kid's sporting event, someone is wearing some t-shirt that catches your eye, you know, and you're like, oh, that's cool. You may ask them, you know, where'd you get that, you know, cute shirt or if it's dressed. Yeah, it has pockets, you know, like it's going to catch your eye for some reason. I was like, any t-shirt that shows the support in that is going to catch their eye. And what if the eye it catches is a little girl being trafficked by her uncle at the airport? What if it's the girl who has been raped for 15 years, but never spoke out about it, but she sees your shirt and knows someone's standing with her. 
So I'm like, okay, that's an idea. So that's in the works. I emailed Weld County Sheriff. I emailed Larimer County Sheriff. I'm like, you guys need to do something. You're not doing enough. Well, how can I help you do more? And I just knew I needed to do something in this community because you can do it all over the world, but it's at home. It's not, it's not the deep, dark crevice of a girl locked in a basement. It's a girl's father selling her to his buddies because he needs extra cash for his alcohol problem. It's not as chains and dark dungeons as it, as you guys all, as people think. And so I'm like, we need to look in our community because it's happening in our community. So that's where I started with it. And I just knew I can't be the only person thinking this. I can't be the only person looking at an issue, whether it be human trafficking or anything else that's on your heart. Someone out there is like, I want to do something, but I don't know how. And I haven't heard God speak to me yet on getting into this. And so that's why talking to Candace, talking to Pastor Lynette, I'm like, what can the church do? How can we as a group get it together? And I'm like, Lynette, if I get this clothing donation going, can I just like, can you throw a slide up? And I get a call from Candace. She's like, so you want to speak at women's night about it? And I'm like, oh, that went a jump from a screen to a talk, but okay. And so it just to do that with my friends. (laughs) Yeah. So it just blew up. And then as things blew up, I'm sure you guys have friends. Candace, if you follow any of her social media, people are noticing it. People are getting loud about it because they're realizing how bad it really is. It was one of those hush hush things of like, oh, you don't you don't talk about pornography. You don't talk about sex trafficking or anything like that. No, you do talk about it. You yell about it and you get mad about it because that's how something's going to get done. And so I'm like, let's get the church involved. Who better than a bunch of moms, a bunch of women, a bunch of families in our church to start it in this community, in our county, in our state? Because OUR isn't working in Colorado yet. They haven't been invited by law enforcement to work here yet. And so why not be the ones to get it in here? And so long story short, that's my testimony that brought me from working at a feedlot to trying to break down doors to fight human traffickers. And it's still going, but it just shows like you may be working at a gas station right now, but your heart may be in something else. It doesn't matter how long it takes. If that's where God's placing it on your heart and that's where your heart breaks, He's going to get you there. It's going to be confusing and it's going to be weird. It's not going to make sense, but he's going to get you there. And so, I mean, that's kind of the solidarity of my testimony leading into this and how we want to get you guys involved now. Yeah. Would you, um, do you want to share a little bit about it? Like, I know if you guys have seen, if you've seen a lot of stuff um, pop up on social media or anything like that. Um, it's good to know if you're getting like facts straight and everything like that. And OUR does a really, really good job on that. So yeah, I think OUR that's... does great. Um, I printed off a few of their facts just to read with you guys tonight. I don't want to bear you down with facts. Numbers are a lot and you're not going to remember these numbers, but for a moment it's going to hit you and it's going to be like, okay, this is a problem. So a couple of the facts that OUR has is right now there is an estimated 40.3 million victims of human trafficking, and that's labor, children, sex, whatever it may be. Don't they say like that's the most that any, at any time in history of the world that there's more people in slavery now mm-hmm. than in the entire history of the world, which is astounding. 
to me. Especially with the time that we're in. I don't think you can get on your social media without hearing about BLM or protests about um, previous slavery and stuff. And it's like, yes, that was awful. And we've come past that part of it. But what about the innocent kid tomorrow that's going to get taken or sold by his grandpa? Um, so it's it's a lot more eye-opening than uh, I thought until I started looking into this. Um, out of that 40.3 million, around 25% of them are children. About 75% are female. And about 81% is some sort of forced labor. Um, so that's the... If that if you if that's hard like forty three forty point three million is hard that's about the population of California so if you think of the entire state of California being in slavery right now in the world that's about where it is um, and like I kind of mentioned earlier a lot of the stigma of human trafficking is the white panel van grabbing a kid off of the playground or someone getting kidnapped something dark um, it's not always like that runaways. Um, any of the minorities are some of the biggest groups of it. Anyone with poverty, previous sex, um, like sexual issues, any, the, I'm going to mispronounce this, L- LGBTQ community is big. They're big targets because a lot of them are the ones that get kicked out of homes, aren't sure of themselves, don't have the confidence. Previous addictions to alcohol, drugs, whatever, homelessness, Anything where they see a vulnerability, the traffickers see a vulnerability, and they attach to it. And they're like, hey, you're in down dumps. Let me teach you a way to earn your own money. But little they know, once they get into it, that money then becomes the traffickers. There's a, and that's one thing that we talked about here, too, is um, why kids maybe wasn't best night for kids is because we want to inform you guys, too. There's a difference between sex trafficking and prostitution. You may think, you know, every movie's talked about pimps and, you know, his girls and stuff. If he is taking that money, that is trafficking. If a woman is prostituting herself and t- get, taking all of her proceeds from it, that is prostitution. But as soon as someone takes part of that, a cut of that, that is trafficking. The women dancing at clubs are being trafficked if they are not taking their full cut. And is sad as that is like no a woman should take all her money from the prostitution she's doing it borders into that trafficking instantly and that's where it's like we need to understand this the differences between them and what to look for um i think one of these other one yes 300 years in the past 300 years there are more slaves today that was at the bottom of this um and so we talk about you know a little bit of what trafficking might be. I want to go over a couple of the signs just to kind of give you guys an idea of that it might not look as dreadful. These people might not look unhappy and scared. They may look like they're okay. Um, Any evidence of being controlled, whether that be um, physically controlling, monetary controlling, phone controlling, someone's taking, why should any adult have another adult's phone or control of their phone, their car, their keys? has all of their bills in their name to make sure they know where the money is going. Evidence of inability to move or leave a job. If someone's working a really kind of low-end job and they have every opportunity to leave, but they don't take it, there's got to be a why to that. There's got to be some reason that's holding them in that. Um, Obviously, signs of physical abuse, bruises, um, any marks, anything that looks damaging from someone beating them. 
um, fear and depression, which I know a lot of these signs you think that, that could be anything like the person could just be depressed and not want to do anything. And that's true. And that's why you have to ask. Um, a lot of times not speaking on their own behalf. If you have a young woman and an older man and he s- says everything for her, that's a little bit weird and controlling. I don't see that happen much with happy couples or father daughters that the daughter has been instilled confidence in her. Um, and then if, A lot of times with the labor trafficking, not sex trafficking, um, someone who doesn't speak English, who has someone speaking English for them and everything they do and not giving them chance to do the interpretation. If they're speaking through them as an interpreter, they should be saying something to that person. But if they're saying every word for them, that's a little odd. Um, So those are just some of the signs. And like I said, OUR has their online training where they go through a tutorial and they have survivors speak. Like, if one person had have noticed this about me, I could have been saved before. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not the deep, dark dungeon. Um, and there's a couple groups, I think, if you guys are on the N3C Women page, Candace posted today a little graphic that we put together with some big organizations and local ones that are doing stuff. Um, if any of you guys don't know, Coffee House 1024 and Eaton does outreach. They do information. They do outreach. They help women who have been involved in trafficking, have survived it. They also partner with um, Free Our Girls, the Avery Center, which is based out of Greeley. So that's a local one. It's ran by a survivor named Megan. She was trafficked. And when she got out, she realized she needed to speak up. So she started the Avery Center. So there's those sources locally. Um, If you notice in the coffee house, they have clothing there. That's made by a group of women in Africa who are going through surviving out of oppression and trafficking there too. So they've partnered with a couple different groups. Um, OUR is the big one. That's the one that a lot of us that are starting to share stuff on social media have shared. They're one of the bigger ones. Um, Their main focus is the kids. They go after children that are victims of sex sex trafficking and they find them and they bring them out in the U.S. and other countries. I think they're working in, I think that slides over there. They're working in a bunch of different countries. I think it's around 20 something right now. And they're, but they're only in 39 states in the U.S. Not all the states have invited them in, but because of them being a nonprofit, they have to, um, They focus on that. When they rescue the kids, though, they take down the traffickers that are there and they try to find that network. Deliver Fund is another one. They focus on hunting the trafficker. Um, One of their top analysts, her name is Kara Smith. If you find her on Facebook, it's Kara Smith. Instagram, she's Kara the Huntress. She's an Air Force veteran, and she sits behind a computer all day, and she follows social media accounts of traffickers, hunts them down, sends their information to the next step, and then basically Deliver Fund takes this beautiful silver platform of, here's your trafficker in everything he has been doing, and they hand it to the authorities, and the authorities without a doubt, have everything they need to arrest and prosecute this man or this woman. It's not all men. Women are trafficking women, too, as much as men are. And so they take it and they send it out. Um, If you guys want to know the backstory for them, Tim Ballard started OUR. He has a really great podcast through Team Never Quit, which is Marcus Luttrell's podcast. If you search it, find Tim Ballard. You can listen to him introduce his story. It's amazing. It's just the... Going from a government agency to starting a nonprofit is amazing. Nick McKinley is another one. He's on the Team Never Quit podcast if you want to hear his story. He um, was the same thing. He was Air Force 
in CIA and he left it in the middle of a divorce and trying to fight custody for his kid started a nonprofit. So these stories of these people who are like, I saw it and I had enough and I'm going to do something about it are just inspiring to get behind. So those are two that um, I've become really interested in. Uh, the Kara, she has a YouTube channel as well where she shows you some of the things and the signs on social media to look for of a trafficker and the oppression that doesn't look like oppression. And she can show you the very slight differences between this woman's just kind of got a jerk for a boyfriend and this woman's being trafficked by this man. So those are a couple sources. And like we said, um, Candace posted those on her site. And then on those podcast episodes too. Yeah. I'll let you handle that. The technology is beyond me. I know how to play it on my phone and that's where I've gotten. So, um, but yeah. And so we kind of wanted to bring the signs up to you guys, bring that out. Um, one thing that I do want to say, because as I have started looking into this, I have noticed, um, I'd say in our community in Weld County, especially we're a little bit conservative. We're a little bit right-leaning. I'm not going to say everyone, but a little bit. And I see a lot of stuff politically. Oh, the far left is doing this. Oh, the far left is doing that. There is a far right. And they have taken this new focus on human trafficking and used it to spread lies, to build up negativity against the left side. A lot of you probably saw the Wayfair deal. Oh, they're selling kids through cabinets. It was proven false, but the far right took it. So when you find this stuff, you got to know if it's true because otherwise it's taking the resources from people like Deliver Fund, the Avery Center, and OUR to then spend time saying, no, this isn't real trafficking. This is what real trafficking looks like. So they're taking resources away from the fight to then go back and re-explain what trafficking really is. So when you see that stuff on social media, just kind of be aware, look into it and try to find out, is this plausible? Is this believable? And that's why we kind of went through and we added these sites that, hey, these are the companies that are doing the right thing and that have the good information and to build off of. One thing about like, just back to that Wayfair deal, I remember Tim Ballard talked about it and he was like, he, he didn't like comment and denounce that because I don't think we all knew yet. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. he knew, but he was like, yes, kids are picked off of websites, social media, all of these things. That is how they are groomed or that is how they're lured into Mm -hmm. different things. And that's how people find them is through websites and through that area. So Mm -hmm. that was just one thing I was like, I remember him talking about that too, but yeah. And it's become a big thing recently too, with that of the mask kids wearing masks. Oh, you can't identify them. Yeah. That's terrifying. Like your kid could still, you know, the mask kind of, you know, hide their face. It could lead to that. But the biggest issue with the coronavirus in impacting human trafficking is how many kids are spending so much more time online and being exposed to people in these predators who are grooming them in luring them in and twisting their mind and convincing them of something that's not real because they're sitting on a computer for video games too. in video games games for who knows how many more hours a day now than they ever would have been had this not have happened. So yeah, the masks are terrifying. I'm going to protest the masks to the end of my days, but it's not necessarily the biggest issue with human trafficking of children. It's the online presence and how much more they're getting exposed to it and what they're getting exposed to and what these people are saying to them through the internet. Um, 
Do you want to talk about the three ways that you can get involved? Like the um, preparation or the not preparation, what I'm trying to think of, like almost. I just brain farted on the word too. I know. Um, I have it down too. <laughs> Sorry. My, my notes are all on my phone. Sorry guys. So that's why I'm looking at them. Yeah. But uh, I have it here too. Somewhere. Prevention. Yes. Prevention. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so like, like we kind of talked about, there's all these resources out there that you can look up and read about, but I would highly suggest everyone. Um, one, one that we didn't mention that is on that pamphlet is Polaris project. They're the one that started the national human trafficking hotline. They're the one that a lot of the statistics and the data comes from. Well, they also have training on their website to learn signs and understand it and just get an idea of what it looks like. I personally, like for me, as sad and as dark as it is, the thing that gets me and that really makes me understand is the survivor stories that the companies in these organizations post about. Because I didn't think whose uncle, whose grandpa, whose parents could look at their child and be like, you're a price tag and you're a commodity and put them out there for someone to use. And one of the ones that really hit me the other day was a young girl who started getting trafficked at four years old by her dad. Her mom would help once in a while, but she's like, it never looked dark and scary like you see in the pictures. She's like, it would be at an airport where my dad hands my hand to another man walking past the opposite direction. It looks like dad handing to uncle or uncle handing to dad. She's like, or it'd be, I'd be left at the pool on a family vacation. And a few minutes later, a man would come and take me into the bathroom. It doesn't look like a man grabbing me and taking me into a van. She said, sometimes it would be coworkers of my father's would come over for a family barbecue and I would be taken into the house with one of them while the rest of the group was outside in their own home with people over this would happen. And it's not... To me, growing up, how do you think about that? You know, we were talking earlier before things started. Every child is taught in school and by their parents, stranger danger. Don't talk to strangers. If someone grabs you, you know, run away, kick and scream. What is kid's favorite word? Why? What happens, mom and dad, if that stranger gets me? No one wants to talk to their child, this beautiful little kid, and be like, there are people out there who will do horrible things to you. And I can't guarantee that I'm going to get you out of that if it happens. So yes, it's hard to think, to talk. And I'm not a parent. So I will basis this with that. I'm not a parent. So I don't have that experience of talking to my own child and you know explaining this. But we're, the kids are being taken and abused by other parents or strangers. Shouldn't parents be the ones fighting this? Getting loud, making sure their kids know? Um, Candace brought up, and you may be able to explain it better, of one where a um, young girl was abused by a family friend of her father's, and another older girl came forward and said, hey, this man abused me, and the father asked the little girl, did he ever do anything to you? Did he ever, you know, anything? And the girl's like, no, 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 never, never, because she was scared. And she came out later and said, had he have asked me one more time, I think I might have had the courage to let him know, yes, he did do that to me. And so it's just being willing to have that awkward 
mom, what are you talking about? Conversation with your kids and getting teachers involved, especially with going back to school, wearing masks, going online, whatever it does. Teachers are with your kids more than you are during the school year. They might see a sign before you do. They would see your kid not playing on the playground with their friends because they're sore, they're scared, they're confused, they're depressed. And that conversation needs to happen. And um, we, I found a few Bible verses that kind of spoke to me that, okay, this is going to be a hard conversation for any parent to have with a child. How do you bring God into that conversation and make sure that that kid still feels safe? Because you're going to tell a child this, they're going to be like, I'm, I'm never talking to anyone again in my life. This is terrifying. Can I just stay home? Um, but there was a few of these, and Candace has one that we all thought about, and she finally figured out which one it was. So why don't you start with that one? And share the verse that you had. I don't know if um, Shelby... Okay, yeah. Put it up. It's um, Matthew 18, 5 through 7. And this is the uh, Passion Translation. And it says, And if you tenderly care for this little one on my behalf, you are tenderly caring for me. But if anyone abuses one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him to have a heavy boulder tied around his neck and be hurled into the deepest sea than to face the punishment he deserves. Misery will come to the one who lures people away into sin. Troubles and obstacles to your faith are inevitable. But great devastation will come to the one guilty of causing others to leave the path of righteousness. And, um, one of the main reasons that I brought this up and a little bit back to that prevention too is, um, and I think it, you know, talking to like little ones, like, hey, like no one's allowed to touch you, wear your bathing suit covers, Besides, like, if mommy and daddy need to, like, check something on you or, like, a doctor. Like, me and my girls, we talk about those kind of things. But also, kids, like, the average age that a kid is exposed to pornography is, like, eight years old. Like, it's crazy young. And um, it's really, really something that I want to protect my girls' innocence from that because, for me, it was... And I mean, like my mom's here and we haven't really talked about this a whole lot, but for me, it was taken my innocence. I was exposed to it at a super young age and it wasn't anything that it, thankfully it didn't cause me problems growing up, but I could see, especially like a boy being exposed to that and it derailing a lot of what happens in their life. And, um, I, so that's just something that I want to bring up. I think it needs to be talked more about in the church. And I, that is probably one of the things I'm most passionate about. And what I feel like I can do is to educate more people about that. Just because I am a homeschool mom, that is what I talk to a lot. So educating other, you know, educating my kids, but also like sharing the things that I'm learning is super, super important to me. And there was um, an article that I found actually written by another homeschool mom, but she, uh, she was a high school teacher, um, before she had kids, I think it's like for like 15 years, she was like a high school teacher and she would have like 14 year old boys, like walk into her classroom and on their binder, they would have like pretty much a picture of a naked woman, like on a, you know, a motorcycle. Like she's got like a, you know, thong on and like barely covering her boobs. And she was like, totally like that is not allowed in my classroom. Get that out of here. But like the kid didn't understand like 
why? Like, what's wrong with this? Like, you see this on TV. You see it on the magazines at the grocery store. You see it, you know, like, in, like, just the PG-13 movies at whatever. And this was before, I think she was a teacher before, like, social media really came about, too. Um, But she just talked about a little bit, I was going to read here. Um, She was actually quoting um, somebody. Sorry, now it's here. Um, it's an author named Matt Froud, and he's an author of the book, The Porn Myth. And he said this, few things in our society are more concerning than pornography. Research is beginning to show just how harmful it is. We know that pornography plays a role in sex trafficking, child exploitation, and sexual violence. Pornography also affects the developing brains of youth and shapes the sexual template of their entire society. We're seeing unprecedented levels of sexual dysfunction in many young men, and experts are attributing the trend to high levels of porn consumption. Yet many of us have been duped into believing that pornography is healthy and normal. Um, And she goes on to talk about that it's almost like a gateway drug. It's kind of like marijuana that pornography is a gateway into all the way of like wanting to rape a you know, 12 year old little girl, because in, um, when we went to that OUR event in Denver, one of the survivors, she had started, um, talking about it and sharing what she had learned and everything like that is that these, all of the perpetrators, they started off with watching pornography when they were a teenager and then they weren't getting the high anymore off of that. And then they turned to the hardcore stuff and then they just kept getting younger and younger and younger and younger. And then they're showing up to Columbia and buying 12-year-olds off of the beach. And that's that's the the route that it goes. And so it's something that it fuels um, sex trafficking. That is what pornography does. It fuels sex trafficking. So as, as mothers, as aunts, as friends, as um, anybody that knows a little kid or has, you know, can have influence in a child's life, we need to be protecting that and we need to be talking about it and we need to be making sure that it's not we're not and i mean there's shows that we will watch with our kids and we're like ah like close your eyes like this is bad like we i'm guilty of like even being like oh my gosh i didn't know this was going to go there and we need to shut that off because that's it normalizes it that this is okay and when we normalize things it's so much easier to it's a it's a form of grooming really and it's not okay so as mothers we really need to be or not i say mothers but i say educators anybody that has influence in a kid's life to be um protecting that and she goes on and she has some great steps and i can even i can um uh, make sure that i post this too but her steps are first be informed research this issue go to the resource guide at the end of this article so this article she wrote Um, and read the articles and visit websites. Knowledge will motivate you and empower you to fight. Second, be open. Start the conversation with your kids about pornography. Let them ask questions. Read books with them if you don't know what to say. I've got a couple books that I've got for my girls, too, that she's recommended that are really, really great. Um, Don't make it just a dad and son thing. Moms, you need to talk to your sons, too, and your daughters. The whole family needs to be open to this discussion. Third, be prepared. Be ready to offer your kids a battle plan for protecting themselves from porn. And if they have already been exposed to porn, be prepared with ways to get them help. 
Fourth, be diligent. Don't give your kids smartphones with no filters and blocks on them. Don't let them use a computer in their room alone. Don't let them spend time with friends who have no filters on their phones. Check their devices, check their histories, and don't let your guard down. And fifth, be involved. Being a part of your child's life is one of the best ways to help them avoid the pitfalls of pornography. By having a meaningful and connected relationship, you're offering them the real love that pornography can never um, be. And help them stay connected to the real, the real world so they don't crave a false one. I think that is like the biggest thing for the generation of kids that are coming up right now. They get on those video games. They've got friends on those video games that are in different states, different countries. They may think it's a 14-year-old kid that they're playing this video game with when it's actually a 40-year-old pedophile that is grooming them with just little messages Mm -hmm. and setting up like, hey, we should meet up. And like, there's, there's just things that we need to be aware of and make sure that we're engaging with them. We are really, really strict in our house. Like, we don't even have Netflix. We have... PBS sometimes, and I'm about to nix that because PBS is driving me nuts right now. But, like, we, I mean, I don't know. Just make the real life that they are in meaningful so they do not crave that false one, like she said there. It's so, so important. And, um, yeah, it takes a little bit of work on you. Like, it's easy to give your kid an iPad. It's easy for your kid to just, you know, go play video games instead of doing a board game or doing something like that. But I think it's really, really important that we're like, hey, no, we're going we're gonna to do this together just to form that bond and keep that relationship open. Yeah, and you made a good point, too, that, like, can you hear me now? Is it working? Did I lose it? Oh, okay. Um, like you said there, it doesn't need to be a father-son thing, but it doesn't need to be a mother thing either. It doesn't need to be mom setting the rules because statistically men are the ones that have the porn addictions, the porn issues. And they're probably going to be the ones that are like, you want to talk to our kids about like porn? No, we're not doing this. Guys need to get involved. Mm-hmm. Look, like this brought, got brought to a women's group first. Now the men need to talk about it at their group. They need to get involved too. So take it home to your husbands, your boyfriends, whoever you got, your brothers, your dads. Take it home to them and be like, hey, you guys need to get involved with this too. This isn't just the women. I would say when we went to the um, OUR event down in um, Denver, it was most, there were a lot of men. I was surprised, but it was a lot of women. And the men that were there were there with their wives. There, I don't think I saw any man that looked like he was probably there by himself. He was probably asked by a wife, a woman in his life to come with him to it, which is great that he did, but we need to get the single men or the men that, oh, wife's busy to get involved too. We need to get them talking about it because women are able, I think women are a little bit more able to talk about their vulnerabilities and the weird subjects in life. And men are a little bit like, eh, I don't want to talk about that. Like, that was weird. And I'm not going to do that. Even my poor husband, he's like, do you think you post enough stuff on social media about this? And I was like, no, I don't. I'm going to post more now. And so, so it's, it's one of those conversations that we got to go in, into with them. And one of the verses that stuck out to me about that is Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. How many times in your guys' life has your dad ever said, do what I say, not what I do? 
you know, he does something, you know, smashes his finger and he yells out a bad word. And you're like, oh, dad, you said a bad word. And it's like, do what I said, not what I do. It needs to be do as I do. And as I say, set that example for men and women. Cause I, I do the same thing. I let those bad words fly once in a while. And I'm like, oh, is there a kid around? Like, hope they didn't hear that. But I think it's just a conversation that needs to get started in the family together. Um, tonight was kind of that introduction of, hey, here's some hard topics that are going to be really weird for you to talk about to your kid. But it needs to happen because it may not be the teacher or the parent or the family member that sees the child struggling that may be being abused or trafficked or anything. It may be your kid because you talk to them about it. And that kid, your child, knows the signs and they're like, hey, my friend at school's been acting really weird. Um, I don't know what's going on. The kid might be more willing to open up to their friend than they would any adult about something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, and two, like, I know this is like a really heavy like topic. And a lot of times like we've talked about it, like, man, you go down it and you're like, good night. I'm like almost feeling like the heaviness on me and I don't like this, but we need to remember that God sees this. He sees all of this and he is with us to prick that, like to start that, to light, light that fire in us. But then he's also with every single one of those people as well. And he's going to just, he's going to be with them. He's going to be ministering to them and holding them tight. I, be, I truly believe that. But I also believe that he is able to ignite a fire in us to be like, no, like this is not okay. We're going to stand up. And like for anybody, like I said, with me, like the, the um, prevention is super heavy on me because I feel like that's what I can do now. I've got two little girls that I can speak to, or I've got friends that have kids and that's just like the season of life I'm in. And then there's like the actual taking action, like the jump teams that like OUR has, like where the, their people are going in there and they're rescuing the kids. But then there's also the rehabilitation that, um, needs to, it needs people. They need people volunteering. They need people talking about it or, um, you know, gathering clothes or, uh, setting up, getting trained to deal with the the women or the children coming out of it afterwards too. And that's something that, um, I think women can step into that role. Not that there's not, um, women traffickers cause there are ones that go and get the women and traffic them as well. But so many times they're abused by men. And so it takes a woman that like Haley or like somebody that can go in there and be like, like, Hey, come on, like, and love on them because a man was the one that abuse them usually. Um, so there's a few different areas, you know, if you feel in your heart to get involved and I always say this too, like, like go after what breaks your heart. Sorry. I don't know why this is cutting out so much, but, um, go after what breaks your heart. If there is a human issue that breaks your heart, like that's usually where your calling is. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, you know, for any of this issue or if it's more of a, I mean, I'm just thinking of like pro, you know, like life issues or abortion or um, racial inequalities or anything like that. Like there's, there's different areas that maybe break your heart more and that may be where your calling is too. Um, but with that, like, I don't want, I don't want anybody to leave tonight and be like, good night. 
the world is so bad and is so dark and it's going to hell in a handbasket and all those kind of things because we have the power of Jesus on the inside of us. And yes, humans are eminently not, they're sinful. Like we are, and that is why we need a good savior, a perfect savior, one that died for us so that we, we have that Holy Spirit inside of us that we know better, we do better, and we can go out and fight that darkness. And the more that we hone on in on that, you read his word, we pray, and we start being obedient to what he's asking us to do, that darkness doesn't have stand a chance. Because the reason that there's darkness is because the light hasn't shown on that. Like, I'm sorry. I think I need a new mic. Maybe. I don't know. It's just cutting out so, so bad. Um, but the reason... <laughs> Oh, I thought that was the batteries. <laughs> I was like, well, that one's not going to work. Maybe that one will work better. Sorry, so Thank you. But the reason that there's so much, that there is darkness is because the light hasn't been shown in those places. So if you think about it, there darkness doesn't really exist. There's only darkness where the light is not existing, okay? Like you can't turn up darkness. You can turn up the light, but you can't turn up darkness. So that means that this world just needs more more Jesus lovers, Jesus followers stepping up to the plate and doing something about it, not just sitting back and calling your church leaders to do more. It takes like, Hey, what can I do? What can I do right now? So, and I know a lot of people probably are going to sit here and be like, okay, like, yeah, I think I have a passion here. I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. I will say watching the different organizations post about what people can do. It doesn't sound sexy. It's not going to look cool on social media. You're not going to look like a warrior and people aren't going to like your photo and be like, Oh, you're amazing. But these organizations need money, and that's where everything starts. They had to have money to fund it. So if it's $5, and you're like, hey, here's $5, and you have my prayers, that's a lot. That is a lot to give, is to pray for an organization, what they're doing, and to donate money. So it may not look cool or sexy, but it's something that you're doing. It is a start. And there was um, one thing that I wanted to say that I talked to Candace before, and I'm like, I don't know it's heavy. This whole topic's heavy, but this is really heavy. But I kind of felt I had got the green light during this from God to bring it up. So I'm going to say it. And if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. It's something from when this started, it's been in the back of my mind in the bottom of my heart. Like, how does this start? So we are the church. You know, I don't know everyone's story in here, but you came to a church to talk about this. So maybe there's God in you somewhere. But as a church, as a Christian, we stand to love on people, right? Whether it's, you know, I've been an alcoholic for 30 years. I used to beat my wife and, you know, I did this. I was addicted to meth for this long and whatever, but now I'm saved. And it's like, good for you. You came out of the darkness and they stand up. Some of them have become pastors, preachers, whatever. And they have these dark past, you know, I was addicted to pornography, whatever. Where where can we find the heart in us for someone to stand in front and be like, I abused and raped 14 year old girls for 30 years, but now I'm saved. For me, that's hard. I don't know if I could look at a person who says that and says, I'm a believer. I'm saved now. 
that did that to a child the same way I would look at someone who's like, I was an alcoholic for 30 years. And I think that's a heart issue on us because, you know, the verse Candace read said someone who hurts or abuses the little ones might as well have a boulder tied around their neck, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love them still, but they did something atrocious. And I think it's just something to feed on now to think about as you and as you go forward, if you want to do something in this area is, yeah, these survivors need all the help in the world, but so do the people that have been doing this. Because like Candace said, a lot of them started as a 16-year-old with a pornography addiction. They were abused themselves. Or abused themselves, and it grew and grew and grew. Um, Tim Ballard has an interview where he talks, and he says, we've talked to a lot of the traffickers we've put behind bars, and not one of them ever said that they ever thought in their life they would get to the point where they wanted to have sex with a 10-year-old child. So somewhere in there, something broke in that person. And I think the church needs to be the first people to step in there and be like, okay, I'm going to look at you as a child of God, and I'm going to try to help you too. It might not be right now. That's going to be hard it's for so me. so hard. I, I Especially, even, and I'm not a parent. I told her, I was like, I'm not there yet. <laughs> no, I don't. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a while before anyone's there, but it's something to put there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, Meredith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And who are we to judge? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, Meredith. Yeah. Yeah. But I think mm-hmm. it kind of sums up what we want to talk about tonight. And I know we threw a lot at you guys. Does anyone have any like burning questions? Yeah, no, we don't understand if, or want to know more about. Or if you have something too, because we, we have this mic for a reason to bring it around. <laughs> Our Vanna White here will bring it to you. <laughs> okay. So I, right at the beginning of the quarantine, this is something my oldest son is eight and my youngest is four. So I, we talk obviously at the eight-year-old level of, you know, we don't go to Walmart and we can't go to two separate aisles anymore because I had someone next to me one time in a, like a raincoat and it was, I'm not going to say it was definitely something, but it was one of those mom moments where I was like, Oh dang, he's looking at cars and he's looking at Legos. And I have this guy with a cell phone in his hand with a raincoat and a woman down the aisle and I feel fishy. So I've always been open with my kids, but there is an organization out of Denver and we did a donation like a month into The first quarantine month, the only time we left our house was to donate to this house. It's in Denver. It's called Extended Hands of Hope Colorado. So these, there's a few houses in Colorado. They're really hard to find because they take in trafficked girls, predominantly girls, some women. Um, Greeley is the number one place in Colorado for trafficked girls, Greeley. That's right here. Um, as far as I know, I think there's a house in, in Greeley, but it's really hard to like get into contact with it. But this, um, healing hands of hope, I can add it, but the woman that's in charge, she is awesome. They pretty much need art supplies, toilet paper, you name it. They need it. They cut this year. They cut, um, they were about to qualify for a grant and I want to say it was like $25,000 and they cut 
this program completely and their house was left high and dry. And there was one sting in Colorado or in Denver um, just recently, we're talking maybe two months ago, that had 12 girls in a house. And because like five neighbors had been like, something is wrong, something's not right, that the number you guys listed on the website, I think it's 373 3888, something like that. Because it starts with 888 and it ends with 888. 888-373-7888. Yes, so it's 3737888. It's pretty easy to remember. 888-373-7888. And anyways, that's the hotline that you call if you notice, oh man, that van, there is something going on. Or that house, they're my neighbors, and I never see them. There's something going on type of thing. And I'm not saying that you should just jump to the case, but there was a house just within the last couple of months right in downtown Denver. One of the city, urban, the city houses right there had 12 girls in it. And a month into the quarantine, the house in um, Denver, they got a full house of girls that were trafficked. They had a sting, and they got a full house. So with our and locally, there's – from what I understand, northern Colorado is just, they don't have a house like this. They don't have a house that really takes in these girls. And Greeley is the number one spot. Like, what is that telling us? That Colorado is not really involved? I mean, I think it's a great conversation to have because this stuff needs to happen. These girls, they, they just want to do art at the house is what the woman told me. And it's like, of course they do. They just want to release everything that they've done. They do yoga, they do art, they do all kinds of healing. So those are also, I was going to tell Candace, I'll post it on that yeah. thing, but um, even if you donate toilet paper, she says they need it all the time. They do a pickup <laughs> in Thornton. They don't do a drop-off at the house because obvious reasons. You you know, you just drop it off at an office building in Thornton. Um, and I did, like, my son, my boys went, and we donated everything. So there was someone with the church, your sister, mm-hmm. or cousin. your cousin. Um, we donated, like, 12 bags of clothes, all kinds of stuff, and... Mm-hmm. It was really good because they really need that kind of stuff too, locally. So, yeah. So to go along with like being like upfront with your kids, we've took a class for our junior high and high school kids. It was a sex ed class because we had a specific issue um, that we had to handle. And yeah, I'll just do that. But anyway. The one thing that spoke to me and my sister works in social services that like I learned from her and in this class was teach your kids the right words to the right parts. Because when it comes to court situations, courts can't do anything if it's a um, not the right word, a nickname. So like being upfront with your kids of what things are and like not sugarcoating it. I think our like society has so sugarcoated everything but or perverted it and it's, it's like yeah, it's not we just need to be real about it with them and be upfront with them about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, go for it. Go there first. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to sit by you. Totally light. But I'm probably the only person in the room that doesn't know what O-U-R is. I'm sorry. O-U-R is Operation Underground Railroad. Um, Tim Ballard started it based off of the premises of what the Underground Railroad was during slavery in the United States. And getting people out of 
um, slavery from that stance. He wanted to bring that idea and that abolitionist attitude forward into this century, into this action. I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate my little brush with this world into this conversation, but um, from about 2008 to 2015, um, I was in fairly close contact through horses with the Rocky Mountain Safe Streets Task Force of the FBI. And there's a woman named Stephanie Knapp, and she's a forensic interviewer with the FBI, and she talks to the kids in ways to collect testimonies so they can prosecute these folks. And then there's another lady named Ann Dar. There's a place up here in northern Colorado somewhere. It was called Amy's House at one point. Is it Loveland. in Loveland now? And when I think about some of the unique qualities of this church and the women's group and the very strong linking shields that we do here, one of the things that Stephanie said one time, they, they brought one of the victims to the ranch to spend time with horses. And this young woman, I think she was 15, and she was somebody they were going to be able to use to convict some people. So there was um, price on her life. And we had all the black SUVs out in front of the ranch to keep her protected and all that. But one of the things that this young woman had talked about, there's something about a cowgirl and a horse and a cowgirl spirit because they're so dead inside that to bring them back, you, we're talking resurrection for their inner person here. And you can provide physical needs and therapy and things like this, but I think it would be really cool if there could be something focused that we could do maybe through the ladies group where you're giving them an opportunity to taste cowgirl and livestock. I think... Most of the people in this room have had time with horses, and you've seen what a horse can do for you, everything from escaping to empowering in ways that are just hard to even describe. So, in fact, this was part of something we were going to try to do many years ago, and then, you know, life distracts you and all kinds of things happen. But there's something focused that can happen with these young women who have been profoundly disempowered to build them back up from their core. And I think your ministry and some of the things that you've produced here and the passion in your heart, rather than, and it's great to be informed and to send everybody out, you know, you know, armed with information and maybe individual callings, but I'd be all in Mm -hmm. for something that we could do because the reason, part of the reason it has to be a group is for these young women to go out, they do sometimes need protection. Mm-hmm. And the kind of mothering that does not come from being a biological mother, because I understand that, because I, <laughs> I had the same path for my life. But the linking shields, where's Katie Ford? Okay. <laughs> the linking shields that we do here is kind of unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And singular, and there are missions, and you know how to put missions together. And so I'm just throwing that out there that this wouldn't be the last conversation that we would have together about this. And 
maybe deliver as a group through the ministry and then maybe see what it could develop into with the access to the horses and activities. It's just something that they've probably never had an opportunity to do. Right. So it's a beautiful anyway, idea. Those are. Um, so I'm going to be a teacher and, um, I've also had some experience with some people and, um, I'm just wondering if you have any insight and there might be some wisdom on the information, but on how to handle, um, like a kid that you think has been abused or trafficked and maybe they don't know it, you know, maybe they don't know that that's what that is. And maybe they don't know, um, you know, maybe they think it's okay um, because they haven't yet been informed that it's, you know, that's not normal and that it's not okay on how to even reach them. Because I know that, Haley, you had mentioned um, something about how they get um, convinced, like mm-hmm. the trafficker convinces them to be this drawn is, into this that is normal this is okay. right and you know what did, how do you not i mean unconvince them obviously like you can't do that that has to be a work of god but what do we do to yeah no um i i know there's a thing over here for students like students in schools getting involved as for like a teacher to bring that conversation to a student i it's been a long time since I've been in school. I know there's some stuff that teachers probably can, can't talk to kids about. I would say first find out what that is in yeah, the school. Like, how do you, do you not 
Would that be something for the phone number? That would, yeah, that would be something you can call the hotline. They can give you um, some information on how to follow it. Their thing is you need to do something. Like some something needs to be said. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting that I've heard a couple times and when I when I taught firearms classes and we talked about kidnapping with our firearms classes and the use of force against it, they mentioned this. They're like, at the very least, if you speak up, you're just going to ruin someone's day if nothing bad was happening. You're going to ruin their day and you might make them mad. But if something was happening and you have that gut feeling, like God, God put that gut feeling there for a reason. If you feel something's weird, like you said in the store, you felt something's weird, there's a reason why you feel something's weird. If you don't feel right about it, there's a reason why and something needs to be said. And so if it's not quite where you're not a teacher yet, talk to the hotline, talk to the parent, maybe talk to them separately. You know, parent may say things when the kid's not around that they wouldn't when the kid's around. Kid's going to say a lot more when the parent's not around than they will when their parent's sitting there. If you have that ability, I would do that. But something needs to be said to someone, whether it's calling the hotline, whether it's calling local authorities and talking to them and getting their their advice on it. Like, hey, I don't know if something's happening, but something doesn't seem right. What can I do about it? Or can I hand this to where someone who has the authority or the knowledge or the training to handle it can handle it then? But I think just knowing like, hey, this seems weird is the first step of I need to do something. And like I said, very least you're going to ruin someone's day and they're going to be like, no, I'm not doing anything to my kid. And you, I'll prove it, you know, but you never know. And it's best to just say something. Good. Yeah. Does anyone else have anything they want to add, ask about? So just really quick, I think that um, we know someone um, that is friends with my older daughter who um, was trafficked, and it was uh, by her dad. And I think that that is the biggest thing is that I think so many of us think like we look for the house that has 12 kids that have, you know, but she, she just posted recently because there is so much conversation on social media. And she said, I would have been discovered six years earlier if people would have been paying attention to like who was coming to my house and random men were showing up constantly at my house and she just said I would have been rescued six years earlier and she also talked a lot about that she didn't know what was happening to her was wrong Mm -hmm. um, for so long and I think that that's really big to like talk about like with your kids like what's normal and what's not normal Um, I think is big but she just posted she said it could be your neighbor next door um and that was really kind of what she was like driving home um was just paying attention to what's going on in your neighborhood what's going on with your with your neighbors and just not you know closing all your blinds and and living happily in your house um so like she went to school and she like did what the other kids were doing and so she just thought that it 
happened to everybody and that that was just like life for her um until she got older and like other things started happening to her but that was like her main point too is that she turned in her homework and she went to school and she didn't show up to school with bruises like she lived a normal looking life Mm -hmm. um and then she got rescued in 2004 and she I mean that's a long time ago and she still struggles with it like she's um like legally changed her name and like she's trying to move past it but it's like like men like men were coming um trying to find her after she had changed her name like years later that like wanted to like be with her she had to completely a hundred percent like change her identity and now she does like missions work like all over the world and um i mean god has really changed her her heart and you know it's amazing to see to i think candace's point like you know god is in it and she's definitely you know a different person today because of it but that was really her message that she's been putting out there is just don't close your blinds pay attention to what's going on in your neighbor Mm -hmm. um because lots of times it's it's just that simple so little deeper than an acronym. Um, I, yes, totally big problem, but I also have an experience in our family where social services was called on my sister and her husband, and it was totally, totally unfounded, and they harassed them, and, you know, so I guess they're, I'm just being really honest, I have this what if I think there's an issue and then there really isn't and this person gets stigmatized? I mean, yes, it would be, you know, the worst thing is to have the problem and not bring it forward, but I do have that little bit of a check in my, you know, spirit of, oh, what would this do to someone if they're totally innocent? I guess just a question. Yeah, no, that's definitely something to think about too because it is hard, you know. You hear about that a lot of times, fathers being alienated because a false claim or anything like that. And I think too, being Christian women, God's going to let you know too, like, Hey, this is, this is real. You need to act on this or hold on girl, like pull back the reins. Let's slow down. You're being a little crazy. Like, let's just bring it back. But, um, so just keep God in it with what you're doing too. Like, but I think too, that gut feeling is right more than it is ever wrong. Does anyone have anything else they want to ask about Add. Yeah, but um, I did want to say because it is in the works and um, I know this night might be difficult to get your husband to want to do anything. Maybe he may be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's fight together. But I did talk to the church and I mentioned the documentary um, that Tim Ballard made. It's on Amazon Prime and YouTube, but it's the documentary about how he got started in their first mission. And I don't want to give it away if anyone hasn't seen it. I know some of you guys probably have, but. Friday, September 18th, we are going to show it at the church. So if your husband's not sure, your family, friend, didn't want to come tonight, this was too intimate, let them come for the movie. We're going to start advertising it once they get it going stuff. But Friday, September 18th, we're going to show that documentary here at the church to get the you know, get the idea out there to more people, let more people kind of understand and get exposed to it. Um, You've watched it too. So I wouldn't say that it is... um, graphic by any means but conversations that happen in it some of the language in it not necessarily that it's cussing or anything but it might be hard for some kids to understand so if you're able to have a conversation with your kid 
whoever beforehand and want them to come watch it too so they can kind of get an idea. I mean, it's not going to be closed off to kids or anything. That's going to be on your discretion if you want to bring them. But we are going to show it here so that we can get more people involved instead of just the women's group. It's called Operation Toussaint. Operation Toussaint, yep. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing story. So Mm -hmm. if you haven't watched it yet, definitely come and watch it that night. Or watch it before and then come again. (laughs) Yes, Amy? Yeah, very good point. And roadblocks, yeah. And eight, and he was chatting over quarantine with someone, and I said, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that is. Okay, okay. It's different from Minecraft because Minecraft is not online. Okay. Nobody knows. Yeah. No more. For sure. Well, hey, ladies, I know it's already getting late. I can't even believe we've been chatting this long because usually I like we're fast and out of here. But I wanted to know if you guys would join me. We're going to stand up. And the vision that I had for this is that each woman puts her hand out in a different direction. So I don't know if we need to get in a circle, but we're reaching our hands out because we're going to pray in every direction out of this church for, um, women, children, boys, every, anybody, the traffickers, we're going to pray and just, um, pray over that and come against that. And yeah. So what? Yeah, maybe, I mean, we can, you can kind of just stand where you're at. And if you've got a jet, like, I totally understand. I know people are like, I've got to go. Kids have school tomorrow. But, um, or we can just, I don't know. I was just thinking, like, we stand with our hands out in one direction. And we're going to pray that way. Um, Or we can circle it. It doesn't matter. But, all right. So, I feel like some need to go that way. But, anyways, Father God, we just... We just thank you for the women that gathered here tonight, Father, that we came together and we, I believe that each woman here came here for a reason, that her day maybe lined up or didn't line up the way that she wanted it to, but she got here intentionally to come and hear um, about what breaks your heart, God. This breaks your heart and it breaks, um, it would break anybody's heart, Father, that knows how... um, this is not okay. This is not right. This is evil. And that there are evil 
there is evil out there, but God, you are so good and you are so good to come against it, Father. And I just pray right now over every child that may be scared, that may be um, hiding, depressed, lonely, in so much fear, Father. Right now, God, I just pray that you show up to that child and that you wrap your arms around them and that they just feel this overwhelming and just... I mean, it just overtakes them that they feel your presence and they feel your warmth and they feel your love, Father. And for every woman or older um, boy or anything like that, God, that, that you would just show up in that same thing, just overwhelm them, just completely um, envelop them and let them feel your presence, Father. And God, we pray over the traffickers. God, we pray in Jesus' name that they will have an awakening to what is not okay, that is not right, that is evil, and that there's darkness inside of them, God. But you, your light and your love will come inside of them and it will awaken them, Father. And that they will feel your love and they will feel your acceptance and they will walk. They will turn away from what they're doing. They will repent. They will ask for forgiveness and they will come to you, God, in Jesus' name. I pray for that to come forward, God. And I pray over... um, I pray for the men and the women that are fighting against this on the ground in OUR or any of the, uh, these other organizations, Father. We pray for boldness for them. We pray for um, finances for their organizations, God. We pray for um, wisdom and, God, that things would pop up that maybe they would have missed before, Father. But since you're in it, you make them aware of things and that they see things, Father, and they're able to um, to go about it and take action on that, Lord. And we just pray as a church as women in your church god that you have put inside of us a boldness and um just the lioness inside of us god that comes from you to rise up and to not let um innocence be stolen from our children but also to fight against darkness father if there's any any way that we can speak out against it we can show up we can donate we can do whatever we need to do if there's god that you give us visions that you give us um uh, I mean, just dreams on our hearts, God, that we, we, we dream dreams, Father, that are bigger than we could ever imagine, Father, but that we are able to, to do them, God. And I just thank you so much for that. And we praise you. We go forth tonight, God, as your daughters to go forth and to, um, to prevail against darkness, Father, because we're, we're yours, Lord. And that's, that's inside of us. We just thank you for that. And we pray for anybody maybe that's under, the sound of my voice tonight, God, that was abused. They were that child. They were that woman or that young girl. Father, right now, I pray that all shame is gone, all dirtiness, anything that they ever felt, if they were maybe even just exposed to pornography um, at a friend's house or anything like that, God, that they felt like their innocence was stolen at a young age, God. In Jesus' name, I know you can restore that. You are healing and you are resurrecting that inside of us, God. And I pray just complete washing away of all of that father and we just pray for healings in their heart and in their mind and just over their their whole bodies lord and we just thank you so much for that in jesus name amen thank you ladies